So in our country, we are used to uh, very dramatic, utopian campaign slogans. In 1976, Jimmy Carter campaigned on, why not the best? In 1980, believe it or not, Ronald Reagan campaigned on, let's make America great again, which you have probably heard been used by someone else recently. Donald Trump used that. In uh, 1992, Bill Clinton campaigned on putting people first, first place. In 2000, George Bush campaigned on a reformer with results. And then after September 11, 2001, uh, George Bush came back and re-campaigned on a safer world and a more hopeful America. And then 2008, Obama, he campaigned on, yes, we can. Yes, we can. So I think no matter, no matter where you fall on the political spectrum, I think we can all agree that these slogans are utopian, that we, they, all, all these candidates have, have fell short of their goal. They did not reach the utopian dream that they casted in front of us. In Jesus' day, Rome also had a slogan called the Pax Romana. It means the peace of Rome. And the, idea, the general idea was that as Rome subdued the nations around them through their military might and force, that peace would come to the world. And I think it's fair to say that Jesus also had a slogan himself. If you could boil down his life and his teaching to one slogan, it would be this. The kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God has come near. Listen to what uh, the Gospel of Mark opens up in chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. It says, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, I think to understand Jesus' announcement in this passage, we need to know what his hearers, what his Jewish audience would have understood by the word kingdom. And it's actually very simple. Uh, and if you, need to, if you want to study more on this, Scott McKnight has a great book called The Kingdom Conspiracy. And he defines kingdom as this. The, the idea of a kingdom is a kingdom is a people governed by a king. Very simple. It's a people governed by a king. So in the biblical examples, you think of the kingdom of Egypt or the kingdom of Babylon or the kingdom of Assyria and so on and so on. McKnight sums it up this way. He said, when Jesus said the kingdom has drawn near, he meant we are about to see a new king governing a new people. And there are five elements that kind of help us break down this definition even more. I want to make it as crystal clear as possible. McKnight says there are five elements to a kingdom in the Jewish understanding. Number one, there's a king. Number two, there's a people that's under the king. And so there's the king and people part. Now these next three are, are these are how the, the kingdom is governed you might say. So number three, there's the rule or the authority of the king to rule the people. And number five, or number four, there's the land or the domain of the kingdom. And then number five, there is the law of the kingdom or the law of the land of the kingdom. So to break this down, the Jews of Jesus's day, they were expecting God to establish the kingdom of his people once again, right? They expected a Messiah, a new king who was going to be or supposed to be a descendant of their former king David. And they believed that his coming kingdom would unite all the people, there's the people, in their promised land of Israel, which meant the foreign powers, the Romans, needed to be gone. And then under this new king's rule, the people would be able to fulfill the law, the Torah, God's special instructions for living. And so Jesus came onto the scene announcing, your long wait is over. The kingdom of God has come near. And I think this would have been absolutely crazy to the people. It would be like a politician running on, if you vote for me, America's already fixed. 
I've solved all the problems. Just vote for me. It would be, we'd be scratching your heads like, what? And I think people in Jesus' day that said, how? How is this kingdom here, Jesus? Where, where's the king? Oh, our, in our land, uh, we're still under Roman power. We're still, we're still oppressed. Uh, people are not following the law, the Torah, the way that they should be. Things are not what you claim they, they are. And this is what made his announcement so astonishing. Because he was claiming that he himself had ushered in the kingdom of God. How is that possible? So Jesus told a few stories, a few parables to help his hearers understand and make sense of what he was claiming. And we're in our series uh, on the parables called Unlocking the Parables. And we're going to be touching on every one of Jesus' short stories. And I hope they will help you unlock the mystery of the kingdom of God. And in fact, most of Jesus' parables were about the kingdom. So, and we're going to, we've touched on, we're going to be touching on three parables this morning. And I'm going to look at three different points that these parables make. And the first is this. The kingdom begins laughably small, but it will grow magnificently big. The kingdom begins laughably small, but it will grow magnificently big. So Jesus tells a story. He says, kingdom of heaven, it's like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. So Jesus says the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, it's like this mustard seed. Uh, and mustard seed, it's, uh, I don't have one with me. I don't have the ancient Jewish mustard seed with me. Surprise. Uh, but it was a very, very small seed. And out of all the seeds a Jew would typically plant in their garden or their field, it was the smallest. And so Jesus, he compares the kingdom of God to a mustard seed, which I just have to pause and say, are you serious? The kingdom of God, the Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, the creator who can do anything that he wants. He has all the power to do anything he wants in the universe. Yeah, his kingdom, it's like a mustard seed. The smallest seed that you can think of. What? Are you kidding me? The kingdom of God is like this? And Jesus says, yes. The kingdom of God is like this mustard seed because it's starting very, very, very small. But it will grow to be large. Now, the mustard plant in Israel, it was really a large bush, and it could grow up to 8 or 10 feet. And the birds would come and, and rest and perch on its branches. And the birds coming on the branches part, this was a well-known uh, Jewish symbol of a, a strong kingdom would represent the tree, and the birds coming would represent the nations who find shelter in this strong kingdom. So Jesus is saying that the kingdom is going to begin very, very small, but it will, be, it will have a worldwide impact. It will reach the nations. And you see, the people of God thought Jesus' kingdom claim made no sense, but they did not understand that it was beginning just like a mustard seed that Jesus was planting in the world. So Jesus' life, the training of his disciples, his death on the cross, his resurrection, this was the seed of the kingdom of God on the earth. And so Jesus, at his death, he only had, did you know, about 120 disciples, smaller than the size of Faith Covenant Church. And he says, these people are going to change the world. They weren't the educated people of the day. They weren't the powerful people of the day. They weren't the rich people of the day. They were the normal, common, everyday folk, but they were a seed in God's hand. A seed that Jesus said, he said, these people go and make disciples of all nations. 
If you would have pointed to any reasonable person in the first century, and you said, hey, look at this upper room of 120 people, and you said to them, this group of people is about to turn the world upside down, they would have laughed in your face. 120 people in Palestine is going to turn the world upside down? Are you crazy? Jesus says, yes. They're the seed of the kingdom of God. The kingdom begins like a mustard seed, but it will grow. And when it grows, it's going to be magnificently big. It will be a tree that reaches the nations. Brothers and sisters, God often uses the smallest of things to do the most wonderful work in his kingdom. So don't despise the small beginnings of change that God is doing in your life. Don't despise the small beginnings of things that God is doing in the church, in our church. God is taking seeds, small seeds, and using them for amazing things. Things may start laughably small, but with God they will grow magnificently big. So the people thought that Jesus was crazy for claiming that this kingdom of God had come, but he says, don't let that fool you. It's like a mustard seed, and it will grow. So the second thing, the second point I want to mention this morning is that the kingdom's growth cannot be stopped. The kingdom's growth cannot be stopped. Jesus tells another story. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all the way through the dough. And I just love how Jesus continues to use the stuff of everyday life. If you can imagine in that little village of Nazareth, this is something that Jesus saw his mother Mary do often and probably other women in the village as well, because this was a traditional role that women had at that time. They would make the bread for the community. So this is something Jesus saw vividly growing up. And he tells this story, and this woman, this woman in the story, she's about to throw some type of party, because this is a lot of flour, 60 pounds of flour, and this would feed about 100, maybe 150 people. She's baking bread for everybody. And then this woman, she takes yeast, and if you don't want to find yeast, if you ever need help finding yeast, what you do is, you go, to your, you go to your top cupboard where you keep your spices and you go to the very top and the very back where you keep all the spices that you never use that are expired and you find a little yellow packet. And you open it up. No, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. That's not, that's not what we're talking about here. No, that's modern times. No, what yeast was in Jesus' day, it was a little piece of dough that had been set aside from the last time and, le- and left out to ferment. And then they would, they would take that piece of dough and mix it into the other dough, and it would fold throughout the whole thing. And so the, the text says she mixed it in. Now, it's interesting, the Greek word for mixed here, it is the word hidden. The woman, kind of, kind of in a sense, she hides the yeast, she hides the leaven within the dough. Because once it's mixed in, you cannot see it or its effects as of yet. And so Jesus says the kingdom of God begins like that leaven that's mixed or hidden in the world. It's very tiny. It's kind of inconspicuous. You can't see it yet, but it's, it's just, for, it, for Jesus, it's just a small band of people in one tiny part of the world. Yet once it's mixed in, rest assured, it's going to change everything. It's going to change everything. Because that leaven, that's gonna, it's going to eventually permeate the whole batch of dough, causing it to rise and transform. And Jesus claimed that he had launched a kingdom that would intensely and pervasively transform the whole world. It's amazing. How is that going to happen? Well, it happens as he invites people in to the kingdom. Biblical scholar Michael Wilkins, he says, the kingdom will permeate this world and operate with hidden transformation in the hearts of the sons and daughters 
of the kingdom. So Jesus is transforming people by inviting them into his kingdom, and that is going to transform the entire world. That's the plan. So Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, it's launched a transformation that cannot be stopped. It cannot be stopped, friends. Because once leaven gets in the dough, it launches a process, it begins a process that will not be reversed. It will continue and it will have its effect. And so God's kingdom has come, it is coming, and it will come, it cannot be stopped. Jesus says something similar to Peter. He says, I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Nothing can stop what Jesus has unleashed in the world. And Jesus is still changing lives. He's still transforming people. He's still inviting people into his kingdom today. Friends, the world may not always notice. The news may not cover it. The culture may not like it. People may hate it and try to stop it, but it cannot be stopped. Jesus, through his powerful love and grace, is building and will build his kingdom. It's so easy to get discouraged when we face all the challenges that we have in our day. It's so easy. But rest assured, friends, we cannot fail because what Jesus has started cannot be stopped. If you know a little bit about the history of the church uh, in other parts of the world the last hundred years, you know about the struggles that our Chinese brothers and sisters had in communist China, especially in the 40s, the 50s, and 60s. And the goal of the government was to stamp it out, to wipe out Christianity, to persecute the believers, throw them in prison, and torture them until they recanted the Christian faith. But you know what happened? The church grew. In spite of all the intensity of that persecution, the house church movement in China exploded, and there became millions of believers in China, despite the opposition against it. And if you know the news of today, it's happening again. The government is trying to stop Christianity in China through force and control. But ultimately, it will not work because the kingdom of God cannot be stopped. And even in our nation, the kingdom cannot be stopped. The forces that we face of materialism, of greed, of complacency, of of atheism, of secularism, any other ism that you can imagine, nothing can come against and stop the kingdom of God coming in power. Amen? The kingdom cannot be stopped. Finally, number three, the kingdom's growth is in process. The kingdom's growth is in process. Jesus tells another parable. He says, the kingdom of God is like this. A man scattered his seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. And I believe this story helps us to see that there is a process of growth in the kingdom. It happens over time. First, there's the seed sprouts, then it grows. There's the stalk, the head, and so on. Then the harvest. And the harvest in Scripture, it's a metaphor for the end of the age. The end time judgment of God when he sets all things right and puts all things uh, to right. And Jesus said the kingdom has been planted in the world, it's going to grow, and it's going to be a process all the way until the end of the age, until the harvest. So where's it growing? It's growing right here on planet Earth. It was planted in the field of Earth. It's growing right here in the midst of all the evil, in the midst of all the injustice, in the midst of all the brokenness that we experience and see, God's kingdom is growing. And we recognize that the kingdom is growing, and that means it has not fully come. It is in process. 
So what's in process? What's in process? So I want to draw your mind back to those five elements of the kingdom and see how this works in Jesus' kingdom. It's a people governed by a king. So the king, the king is Jesus. Jesus is the king of the kingdom. The people, that's the church, those who submit to Jesus as king. Then there's the rule, the authority. Jesus is Lord. The scripture says he's reigning at the right hand of the Father. He's seated. He's Lord of the whole world. Then his land and domain. This is where Jesus' kingdom people are present. And then the law. This is the law of Christ, following Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how we fulfill the law. So the kingdom of God is the people governed by the king. And we are now those people governed by King Jesus. Submitting to his rule, following his ways by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I want you to see that there is a very close connection between the church and the kingdom. When we build up God's church, the people who follow Jesus in his kingdom, we are building up the kingdom of God on earth. So we, the church, we are the kingdom of God, and we invite the whole world to join us. It's a wonderful thing. It is the most amazing thing. But it's also in process. It's also in process. And this should make us be really patient and help us extend grace to the church. I love how Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his famous book, Life Together, he says, those who love their dream of Christian community, more than the Christian community itself, become destroyers of that Christian community, even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. Wow. That is a powerful quote. Those who love this ideal, the dream of, of what the church should be, more than the actual people, more than the actual church, they become destroyers of that community, even though they intend it for good. And I, I see this today all over in American culture and the church today, and I think it is tearing churches, it's tearing the body of Christ apart, because people have all of these ideals about what they want from the church. They say, well, the, the, the church really should have, have this programming that I want, or the church should really play this kind of music, or the church should, should really feed me and teach me and give me all the things that I need, or, or the people aren't as loving and they're not, they're not as holy as I thought they would be, or no one reached out to me, or I don't agree with X, Y, or Z, or I got into a disagreement with somebody and they hurt my feelings, and I would say to them, well, of course. What, what, what did we expect? What did we expect? This is, the kingdom is in process. The church is in process. We're growing. We're not there yet. We're imperfect people. We're broken people that God is redeeming. And so we need to hold, I believe, two truths at the same time. And on the one hand, I'm going to start with the positive. On this hand, we are the kingdom of God that Jesus began on earth. And we are the people that Jesus gave his life to redeem. We are what God is building in the world. And I really believe that the church is God's mission to a world that is so broken and they're dying for love and grace and hope and truth. And I really believe that we should give our lives to make God's church, his kingdom, the best that we can possibly make it in our lifetime. That's on one hand. And on the other hand, the kingdom is not fully here. It's not fully redeemed. We're not all the way there. We're still broken. We're still imperfect. And we still need to confess our sins because we don't love God as we ought and we don't love our brothers and sisters as we ought to, and we hurt each other, and we fall short of God's glory. So we have to remember, the church is in process. We are not who we will be someday. We're in process. And I think this is why the New Testament is filled. It is filled with all kinds of admonitions to the church to forgive each other, to love each other, 
I want to give you just a, a, a few of them real quickly. And think why Paul is writing this to the, to, to, to the church. Colossians 3, 13 through 14. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. We're in process. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. Live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We're in process. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. Romans 15.5-6, may, may God grant you to live in harmony with one another according to Christ Jesus. Accept one another just as Christ also accepted you to the glory of God. And finally, 1 Peter 4.8, above all, maintain constant love for one another since love covers a multitude of sins. Even the great apostle Paul, who had all these dreams for the church that God had commanded him to go build and go preach to the Gentiles, he knew that there would be a multitude of sins in the Christian community. A multitude. We're in process. So love each other. Forgive each other. Bear with one another, and you will see the beauty that God is making in this world. So, don't, so friends, don't let your ideal, don't let this thing in your mind of what you think the church should be keep you from actually loving the people that God has called you into the local church with. Don't let the ideal keep you from the actual people. I think this, we have this idea that we can just stumble upon a wonderful Christian community. But I heard a pastor say recently, church community, it's not just found, it's formed. It's formed. It's formed over time, and it can be a messy process and these parables mean, they teach us that the virtues of grace, of patience, and love, and forgiveness, these must be central in our lives if we're going to make it. And these parables, they also give us great hope. They give us tremendous hope because God is at work bringing in his kingdom, and we get to be a part of that. And it means that we have the hope that actually our best days are ahead of us for the church. Because why? Because God is growing the kingdom. He's growing the kingdom. It's in process, and the process is towards growth. And so God is doing that. So we have hope that our best days can be ahead of us. And it also gives us hope for the smallness. Because God can take small beginnings, small seeds, do wonderful things in your life and in our church. We don't have to be big, and you don't have to be big to make a huge kingdom impact. God uses seeds. God uses seeds. And they are powerful over time. So friends, let's give ourselves to the kingdom that Jesus began and died to save. Let's rejoice that we get to be the continuation of what Jesus began. And one day we will see God's kingdom fully come, the work finished, and all will be put to right. Amen.